Can we just sing this together real quick? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Something happens when we worship. We've talked about this before. When we begin to worship, the atmosphere changes in the room. The atmosphere of our hearts and our lives changes when we begin to place Jesus in such a place that we see him as wondrous and magnificent and glorious and we bend all of who we are to submission to all of who he is. Something happens in worship and when we sing worship and we just stop and we just, we just try to enter into that, that place, that spirit of worship, God does amazing things. You can just feel, you can feel the, the change in the room. I'm so thankful for our team uh, don't they do a fabulous job? Our team works so hard for us. Thank you all for serving so well and beautifully. I want you to do something for a second. Can you go back in your mind to maybe your most worshipful moment ever? Whatever it is. It, it, it may be music related. It may not be music related. It may be a, the birth of a child or the sunset at a specific moment in your life. But what's a moment that you remen- remember that was just, man, it affected you and, and led you to a deep, place of worship. Can you remember? Sometimes we can go to those places and they still stir our hearts. They still move us almost as, as if we were right back in that same exact moment. I've had, I've had so many moments like that. I just When I begin to think of that one moment that just rolls through my mind like a Rolodex, there have been so many. God is so good. He loves us so much. And when we give that time to him, when we enter in with him, he does something spectacular. You know, if you, were, if you were to enter into a place of worship that was just ecstatic, that was just wondrous and mysterious and, and amazing, you might get close to what the Apostle Paul was doing when he wrote this text that we're going to study this morning. Um, theologians have, have called this text... A lot of different things, and I have, to, I have to agree with all of them. One commentary gave me all these different quotes from different theologians about this text. One, one man called it a golden chain of many links. Another called it a kaleidoscope of dazzling lights. Another, I like this one, a racehorse careening onward at full speed. Just giving you these images. Another one says it's kind of like an eagle when it takes flight, wheeling around as though for a while uncertain, what direction in his boundless freedom shall he take? When you really begin to look at this text and you get a sense of what it is, those things will make sense. Theologians call this 12 verses we're going to study today, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. They call it a song. They call it a hymn. And when you, like I said, when you really sit with it and you get into it and you learn from it, then you begin to understand what, what they're talking about. It is so beautiful. It is so overwhelming. Uh, in fact, I've got to be honest with you, I think it's probably the most theologically dense text I've ever tried to approach in one setting. Um, and so I'm a little nervous this morning. Can I tell you that? I don't have the understanding to make sense of this text completely. And no man does. And so with all of my heart, I've just tried to approach it on my face this week. I I love what I've learned about this text because (laughs) it reminds me of my kids in some ways. I remember when uh, my kids were young. I'm talking like toddler, two, three, so much fun. I just, I miss those days so much. Remember when your child, if you have kids, they, they would run up to you. Daisy and Joby would run up to me. And sometimes they were so full of excitement about whatever it was, right? 
It's like, Daddy, Daddy, I saw, I saw a puppy, and the puppy, he's licking me on the face. And then we ran out, so it's like this, you're, and you just can't help but be caught up in it, right? You're like, yeah, awesome, let's go. What do, you know, you're just, it's such an amazing moment. And your excitement gets pulled into theirs. That's what happens in our text this morning with the Apostle Paul. He, he goes into this song that is so beautiful and so otherworldly, it's hard to wrap your brain around. In fact, when he writes this text in the Greek, it is one run-on sentence, 202 Greek words. Just like my child couldn't worry about the grammar when, when she's excited about the puppy, Paul can't get you know, slowed down by, by grammar or, or thoughts that help make sense of the thing. He's just, he's rambling in the most wonderful and, and lofty of ways as he shares what's on his heart and God's heart about what he's done for us. Because this is a song, of course that got my attention as a songwriter. Uh, because this is a song and it's written in sort of a long sweeping moment of worship, I want us to experience it that way. And so I'm, I'm, we're going we're gonna to read it all in one, all 12 verses in one swoop here. And we're going to read it in the message because of just the language of how it speaks to us in a way that we can understand and, and get a little easier. And then we're going to come back to it and we're going to break this text down in the English Standard Version. But I want us to read it in the message first, okay? This is Ephesians 1 verse 3 in the message. It says, how blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master Jesus Christ and takes us to the highest places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We're a free people, free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all our misdeeds, and not just barely free, not just barely free either, absolutely free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and in everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This down payment from God is the first installment on what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, appraising and glorious life. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we just come together as a family. Lord, we just, we humbly come before this text. We humbly come before uh, what you want to teach us today. And God, we want to join Paul in that excitement. Lord, we want to say, first and foremost, bless God for how you've blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Lord, that's enough to just sit in all day. We could stop right now and it would be more than we can take in. It would be more than we can comprehend that you've given us so very much in Christ Jesus. So Lord, we, we pray that you would help us today as we approach this text of scripture, we pray, God, that you'd help us to understand what you're saying, that you would give us a little insight about how much you love us, that you've gone to such lengths to plan for us, not just now, but for all eternity. 
God, thank you for that love. Thank you for Jesus. I pray that even now, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would increase in this place, that I would decrease, and that you would lead us to all truth. We humbly ask that of you today, Jesus. May it change us forever. In your precious name, amen. Amen. I want to be honest. I, I told you this text has made me nervous, and it has. It scared me, if I'm honest with you. Um, this is a very controversial text. Depending upon who you listen to, different preachers, different theologians, different uh, veins of teaching on this text, they, they differ. Some pastors and theologians use this, this text of Scripture as a proof text to say that God, before time began, chose that you might go to heaven and you might go to hell. Just period. He's just going to choose, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell. I, I struggle with that based on what I see of the whole of Scripture, based on what I see of the Father's heart of God, based on what I understand about God saying that he loves the world so much that he would send his one and only son that whosoever would believe could have salvation, everlasting life in him. That, that, that doesn't compute in the same conversation to me. And yes, some theologians believe that, but how could God, before we're even born, choose for us to go to hell? I don't understand. I don't believe that is the case. I'll, I'll just lay out uh, my faith here before you. I do believe, however, that God is sovereign. I believe he's in control of all things. I believe that he knows all things. He, he, no question. He knows who will follow Jesus. He knows. He knows in this moment, sitting in this room, watching on this broadcast, who of us know him as our Savior and who does not. I believe he knows that. I also believe he loves this whole world, every single man, woman, and child. I believe, like 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, he is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's his heart. That is the Father's heart for us. I believe it's God's heart to see people saved. I don't believe God sends people to hell, but instead... People willfully choose to ignore God, willfully choose to live without God, willfully choose to not submit to God and thereby send themselves to hell. The Bible says that God created hell not for people. He created hell for Satan and his angels. His heart is that people would know him. And this beautiful opportunity we have to submit to him to follow him, and he knows who will do such a thing. So I got into this text this week and, and, and just laid before it, um, wept before it, studying many books of men much smarter than me, and I don't see it as a scary one anymore. I see, I see a bigger picture here. One of a loving God who longs to bless us, longs to love us. I believe that it was Paul's heart, his intent, as he wrote this <laughs> run-on sentence, so full of joy, so full of hope, so full of love, so full of plans for his people. Look with me in the ESV, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The title of the message this morning is, We Are Blessed. You think you're blessed this morning? I know I am, more than you. I just feel that way. I'm probably not, but I just feel like I am. That's just how good God is to me. I don't know how good he is to you, but he's good to me. I'm so blessed. We are so blessed. Daryl, you did it to me this morning. You did that song right before I'm supposed to preach, and I'm crying the whole time. It's such a great song. I see the evidence of his blessings, of his goodness all over my life. We are so blessed. Paul starts this song, if you will, 
saying, Lord, we, play, we praise you, we bless you. That's what he's saying. He's starting from the place of praise. Bless you, God. You are blessed. In essence, he, he's saying, bless God who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That's basically what Paul's saying. Bless God, praise God, because he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In other words, God praise you for all that you've done, and all that you've done, you've done through Jesus. That's how you've blessed us, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Here he uses that phrase again, in Christ. We talked about it last Sunday, as we did sort of an introduction into the book of Ephesians. I told you, Paul uses this phrase, in Christ, 36 times in the book of Ephesians. In this little song alone, he uses it 11 times. 12 verses, 11 times he says, in Christ, or in him. He uses Jesus' name 15 times in 12 verses. I think he's trying to say something here, right? Our spiritual blessings are in Christ alone. Praise God for the blessing of Jesus. Is Jesus a blessing in your life? Man, I'll tell you, there's no greater blessing we have than to know and live in Jesus. He says, with every spiritual blessing. So right now, I'd just love for you to think for a second. What's what's your greatest spiritual blessing in your life? Some of you may say, well, um, provision, God's providing, uh, or maybe it's, it's salvation, maybe it's forgiveness, maybe it's God healed me of this, maybe it, it's uh, God is my comforter. I don't know what spiritual blessing is uh, specific to you in this moment. But I want you to know you have all of them if you're in Christ. In Jesus, there's nothing withheld from you when it comes to spiritual blessings. Not one. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he's given us. I love this quote from Spurgeon. Mindy sent this to me this week. He says, our thanks are due to God for all temporal blessings. That's, that's, that's stuff around here, right? That's earthly blessings. They are more than we deserve, but our thanks ought to go to God in thunders of hallelujahs for spiritual blessings. A new heart is better than a new coat. To feed on Christ is better than to have the best earthly food. To be an heir of God is better than being the heir of a great, the greatest nobleman. To have God for our portion is blessed, infinitely more blessed than to own broad acres of land. God hath blessed us with spiritual blessings. These are the rarest, the richest, and the most enduring of all blessings. They are priceless in value, right? He also puts a a location on these blessings, which is really interesting. He says we have these blessings in Christ in the spiritual places, in heavenly places. What's a heavenly place? It's kind of an interesting phrase that Paul uses in Ephesians, and it's specific to Ephesians. He uses it six times in this book, and he doesn't use it anywhere else in his letters. The the point is this. Paul's trying to get our mindset, our hearts, into thinking bigger, into thinking in heaven. You know, when we worship and we truly enter that moment of worship and we sing songs like, holy, 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 or, or praise God from whom all blessings flow. In that moment, we enter heaven. Our, our, our praises enter heaven, and they combine with the songs of angels. Think of it. It's one of the only things we do that's also being done in heaven. It's a common language, worship. It's the spiritual places. It's the heavenly places. Some of your translations call it the heavenlies. The Bible tells us that we need to think on things above. In other words, our minds need to be in that place. It also tells us in Ephesians 2 that because of our position, we talked about the fact that we're saints, that's our position in Christ. And so in Ephesians 2, Paul says that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Right? Our, our position isn't your job title. Your position isn't just father. Right? Your, your position isn't just coach. You're a saint, and you are seated with Jesus in heavenly places. I think God wants us to have sort of a sense of a dual identity. You've heard phrases like for us to be in and not of, right? We live in this world, but we're not to be of the world, 
We're to be seated with Jesus. Our thoughts are to be with Jesus. We hear phrases uh, about being um, aliens and strangers on this earth. But we're citizens of heaven. It's that dual identity. As I was looking through this text and and, uh, trying to break it down, understand it, it can seem overwhelming. It takes a few passes, so to speak, um, to really begin to get an understanding of what Paul's saying and what God's trying to say through Paul. And I'm thankful that God showed me a little bit of a framework of what's happening here. And and the more I got into it, the more I just love Paul. I love his heart. Uh, I love the fact that he's excited. And he gets so excited, there's moments that he even just... He shouts out praise to God. And so when I'm reading that, I'm probably going to enact that for you, okay? I don't want to scare you and give you a warning here. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, I want you to see that, that Paul lines up for us in this text that God had a plan for us. He's got a plan for his people, and he makes that plan before he even creates earth. Before the foundations of the world, God had a plan for his people. So we call that eternity past. So I want, us to, I want us to see the framework today is that God has a plan in eternity past, in your present, as well as in eternity future, okay? That's the framework today. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 in the ESV says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. That's one of those moments Paul just, <laughs> he says an idea, and then he says, praise God, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that is Jesus. So before the, the foundation of the world, before he creates planet Earth, God had a plan. Just to try to wrap your brain around that is is a hard thing to do. But it shows that God had a a love and a desire for you as God's people more than he did even making the world. Right? Like forming the world is even secondary to how he loves you. Isn't that huge? God wanted a people before he even formed the world. The Bible talks about it all throughout Scripture, about this people that God wants, this people God wants to be with. So we see at the beginning of the book of the Bible and at the end of the book in Revelation, I want to show them to you. Look here in in, uh, Exodus, second book of the Bible, chapter 19, verse 5, says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God is beginning to set up this idea of a people. right? We've seen that before time began, he had a plan. He wanted a people. And now he's beginning to lay out what this means. Of course, he's speaking to uh, the nation of Israel as his chosen people. Right? Then at the end of the book, look what it says in Revelation 21, verse 2. John says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his what? People. And God himself will be with them as their God. From before the beginning of time, God has longed for this people. His treasured possession, he calls it in Exodus. So what what do we know in our text about this plan and this people that he wants? Well, number one, it says that he longs for them to be. Let's read it here. He says that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, why would God want a people that's holy and blameless? Because he's holy and blameless, right? Because he's holy, he wants his people to be holy. The other plan that he has for us is that we wouldn't just be uh, a people, but that we would be family. Look what he says in in verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So God makes a plan for his people. Does it before the beginning of time. He's true to that promise all the way through Revelation and in future eternity, right? And he wants us to be a holy people and he wants us to be family, right? Somehow we went from enemies of God, remember that? To children of God. Now, usually when you're an enemy, if, you're, if you ever study war or something, and, and you can see it throughout even the stories of war in the Bible, uh, an invading country comes in, they win against their enemy, and they take those enemies and make them slaves, right? These, are the, these people are going to work for us. That's usually what happens to enemies, not with God. He's taken his enemies and those of us who know Jesus and now made us his children. We're family, Romans 8, 14 says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In other words, if you're led by the Spirit, that's because the Spirit is in you. You know him as your Savior. You're sons and daughters of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. God didn't want slaves, friends. He didn't just want servants, workers. He wanted family. He wanted a family to bless. <laughs> if you're a mom or a dad in here this morning, you know how much fun it is to bless your kids. It is, it is such a joy to bless your kids. They might not be expecting something. You give them something. You, you do something for them. And it just, just to see the look on their face is such a joy. God's a father. And he takes us from enemies to adopted children. And not just children. But children who actually see him in relationship enough to call him daddy. You see that? There are a lot of families who have adopted children and fathers. And they may never get to the point where they say, you're my daddy. It may be Jim. Hey, Jim. <laughs> right? Hey, Bill. But it might never be daddy. So we are adopted sons and daughters of God. And we have a relationship with him enough to call him Abba, Father. That's what that means, daddy. Daddy God. Let me show you this, though. God wants us to be a holy people, and he wants us to be family. But the only way we're going to be holy and the only way we're going to become family is through Jesus. That's our only hope, Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. I want you to listen to this again in the message, these three verses. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love. To be made whole and holy by his love. Long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son, by Jesus. So we, we become holy by his love. We're made family by his love. And what an amazing God and father that would plan such a thing for us in eternity past and it's all centered on Jesus. All centered upon Jesus' death and resurrection to make us holy and family. And then at the end of this idea, Paul says, praise God for his glorious grace. It's like this moment Paul has to step back about the idea that God makes us holy through Jesus. And make, can you imagine Saul, now Paul, after all he's done, going, I'm not an enemy anymore. After all I've done to your people, you want me to be your Son, some of you feel that way. I feel that way. God, how could you take this broken, busted life that's been an enemy and done things against you for so long, and now you're calling me in to be a son? What a blessing. Praise God for his glorious grace. In fact, it's his glorious grace that makes it possible. Here's the second thing I want you to see. We're blessed not only in eternity past, but we're we're blessed in the present, right? Right now, as children of God, saved by his grace. Ephesians 1, 7, 
says this. In him we have. You notice the change of, of tense here? This is not a past statement. This is a present statement. In him we have today, right now, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Again, we have that phrase, in Christ. It's in Christ that we have these unbelievable blessings He's made us holy, he's made us family, and now Paul tells us that it's in Christ right now in the present that we have redemption through his blood. The word redemption literally means deliverance by payment of price. Deliverance by payment of price. So if you're in prison, then I can come and redeem you by paying a price to get you out of prison. That's the definition of that word. And it's exactly what Jesus has done for us because we are, we're lost. No one righteous. All of us prisoners of sin and death. Jesus has redeemed us by his blood. He, he's, he's paid for our purchase to give us freedom. And it's only by his blood. The writer of Hebrews in, in chapter 9 verse 12 says, He, speaking of Jesus, entered into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Writer of Hebrews brings back the idea of the temple. Because even temple sacrifices were an act of God's grace. Even then, uh, there would be a blameless lamb, a blameless goat, a blameless calf. And it would be sacrificed. And the priest would stand in representation to place all of the sin of Israel on that animal. Once a year, and then that animal would be sacrificed, his blood poured out, and the sins of a nation forgiven. All as uh, uh, right, foreshadowing to who Jesus would be. And this is what the, the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying this is not the temple sacrifice, where thousands upon thousands upon thousands of animals were sacrificed. No, Jesus died once for all. One time. That's what Jesus did. Once for all, not by the means of uh, blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing freedom, right? Repentance for all eternity. Colossians 1.13, Paul says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God not only rescues us out of prison of sin and hell and death but he forgives us of what we've done one of my favorite verses first john 1 9 if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness i love it god loves us so much that he's been our rescuer but he's also forgiven us and purified us and guess what? We don't deserve that. You know what I deserve? I deserve hell. You know what you deserve? You deserve hell. And some of you say, whoa, 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 wait a second. I've never killed anybody. I'm not that bad of a person. I really don't do that much stuff. Well, have you ever sinned? Have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever lusted? Have you ever been greedy? Should I keep going? All of us are going, yeah, we've done those things. Which means we are sinners and we are deserving of a place for sinners, which is hell. And then God so loves the world that he sends his only son. And he lives a perfect life. He follows God's law perfectly, blamelessly. And he offers a perfect sacrifice on the cross. And because of his death, we can enter into eternal life because of Jesus. Praise God. I like the way that Paul says, in our text, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. He didn't say from the riches of his grace. One commentary talked about this. It just kind of, I've never considered the, the difference. To say according to his riches is to give an, a, an example, to give some idea of how much he has. According to his riches is to say 
he'll give you according to all the riches. There's, there's no limit to his riches. I want to give you an example, a, a, a picture. If you were to come to me and say, I'm thirsty, I need something to drink, and I'd say, okay, let me put you right here. Just open your mouth. I'm going to give you something to drink. And I turn on the waters of Niagara Falls just above you. Right? That would be lavishing upon you, meeting your need in extravagant ways, right? It'd be more than you could ever need or want. That's kind of what God's grace does for us. He lavishes this rich word of lavish more than you could ever need, more than you could ever understand. That's what Jesus does. He lavishes his grace upon us. Verse 8 says, in all wisdom and insight, in other words, God has perfect timing, perfect plans, perfect understanding. He knows exactly what he's doing as he makes this plan in eternity past with all wisdom and insight. And then he makes known to us the mystery of his will. You know what the mystery of God's will is? The mystery of his will that he's talking about right here is this idea that God had had a people, the Jewish people. And the mystery is now that God's people are not just the Jewish people. But he, he longs for Gentiles to come together. And the mystery is that God in his grace and mercy would bring Jews and Gentile into one unified family. Bought by the grace of Jesus. Loving one another. No one's better than the other. They're a family together. Trust me, that would have blown some minds of Gentiles. It would have blown the minds of Jews. You want us to be what? Paul says it's a mystery. (laughs) You may not understand it, but this is God's goodness and grace. And he's making the mystery of his will known. Verse 9 and 10 says, according to his purpose which was set forth in Christ Jesus as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, both in heaven and on earth. His purpose, God has a plan and he's got a purpose for that plan. He wants to fulfill this plan and it's all gonna happen as a a reality that Jesus is the one he set forth this plan in. It's all based around Jesus. I like it says, uh, for the fullness of time. In the Greek, that literally just means the sum total of time. That's why I like Peterson's message. It says, it's a sum. When all time is over, there's going to be a time where we're living outside of time in heaven. Time is over. The Father's going to, at an appointed time, say, okay, time is finished. At that time, Jesus is going to bring heaven and earth together. There will no longer be heavenly places. We'll all just be one heavenly place, Right? So God's plan centers around Christ, and at that perfect appointed time that God says, now, Jesus will bring all things together. I love, again, it's mind-blowing and hard to wrap our brains around. I want to read this text in Colossians. Again, it's such a beautiful text, Colossians 1, and just want to help understand the power that Jesus has. 1.15, Colossians says, "He, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he is before all things. And in Jesus all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I love this text because it's, again, this huge sweeping idea of Jesus, literally creator of the world. It goes from creation to consummation, all based on Jesus, his power all based on what he's doing. He's holding us all together, everything. And when the Lord says it's time, when the fullness of time has come, he'll make it all new. All right, lastly, I want us to see in our framework, we've seen God's plans for us in the past, 
in the present, and now I want us to look at the future that we have in Christ. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul talks about an inheritance. And often when you're talking about an inheritance, it's something in the future. Maybe a a loved one, parent, somebody has left you an inheritance when they passed away. It's going to happen in the future. You don't know when it's going to happen. But what's interesting is Paul uses the phrase, he says, we have obtained, not we will obtain. Isn't that interesting? We already have some of our inheritance right now. Right now. That's some of the spiritual blessings we have. We have obtained an inheritance, right? It's all part of God's plan. It's all for the purpose that he's moving about in his will, this long-range plan. But I also want you to notice some of the writing style of Paul. I thought this was fascinating. Step back from the text just a little bit, and I want us to look at pronouns in this little section. Okay, let's look at pronouns. In him we, who's he talking about? He's talking about the Jews, okay? In him we, the Jewish people, have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, the Jewish people, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. Now watch this. In him, you, who's he talking to? Gentiles. He's writing a letter to Gentiles in Ephesus. And look what he says. In him, you Gentiles, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our. Isn't that beautiful? I just love that. You miss it if you don't pay attention. He's the guarantee of our inheritance, Jews and Gentiles alike, until we, Jews and Gentiles alike, acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's the mystery Paul's talking about. Jews were the ones that were first to hear of Christ. Romans 1 tells us to the Jew first and then the Greek. So so Paul's mentioning that, right? But then he brings them together. It's such a beautiful realization of that mystery. We're going to get into that a little deeper in the next chapter. This This is a text, again, it talks a lot about God's sovereignty, his control. That he knows all things. But I also want you to see that it also has an element of man's responsibility. Which I think is important. Verse 13 he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Right? Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God knows who will be his people. But it's on me and it's on you to believe. Even now, right now. Look at me just for a second. Right now, in this place, do you know Jesus as your Savior? When you heard the word of truth, right? When you heard this gospel of your salvation, when you heard it, did you believe? Is that belief moving you towards him? Are you in Christ? Yes, it's about God's sovereignty, but it's also about man's responsibility and our belief and our faith. And this is what happens when we believe in Christ. He seals us with the Holy Spirit. Now, just another really cool theological point here in this song. As soon as he mentions the Holy Spirit, we begin to see a triune activity of God, right? From verse 3, he says, bless God the Father, right? of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. So there's the Father, Son, and now at the end of our text today, he talks about the Holy Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit. There's activity from the Trinity. And what he does is he seals us. I went, I've talked about this because it was such a big deal in my life. Several years ago, I went on a cattle drive and um, 
there was a moment in the cattle drive where we, we stopped out in the middle of nowhere. It was beautiful. We had, we had literally pushed 350 head of cattle uh, 50 miles, and we were probably at about mile 35 or 40, halfway or somewhere, and we were going to brand the calves. And uh, those were heavy, by the way. They're like 100 to 125, 130 pounds. You got to grab, it's like a sort of a big, big Great Dane, except a little bigger. And you got to, you grab that front leg and, and back leg, and you kind of do that to his side, and you post it up on his side and throw it down on the ground. And then when you get down there, you get behind one leg, you got one foot on one leg, and you're holding this other leg and kind of helping him do the splits so that he can't get up. And you get dusty and dirty, and it's so much fun, right? Um, and you're holding this calf, and then somebody else is holding uh, the calf's head. And literally the whole time, no, no kidding, six to eight, ten feet ahead of you is the mama. And she's going, <sighs> she's literally like a bull, but you know, a mama, and she's doing her foot like this, like, I'm about to run you over and kill you. So you're holding a foot going, <laughs> okay, this is awesome, but terrifying, which is awesome. And so you're, you're holding the, the foot, and somebody else comes by with this blazing hot uh, brand. And they brand the calf, smoke gets in your eyes, it smells terrible. Don't worry, the calf doesn't hurt that bad, their, their skin is so thick. It's not that big of a deal. But the whole point of this is that the rancher says, that's mine. So when that calf gets bigger and wanders off somewhere and another rancher finds it, he sees that brand, he goes, oh, that's that rancher's calf. I don't own this. He does. That's what God does in our hearts with the Holy Spirit. He brands us. It's a sign of ownership. That one's mine. The Holy Spirit seals us protects us. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, you've been bought with a price. You are owned by God if you know Jesus as your Savior. But it's not just an ownership piece. There's also, Paul talks about this guarantee of our inheritance. You know, the word guarantee in the Greek speaks a little bit about like an engagement ring. When you give somebody an engagement ring, it's like saying, this is my promise. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. But it's just sort of a promise the better thing in, in understanding what this is about is more like um, earnest money. If you were to buy a house and your house is $100,000 and you're going to put down $10,000 earnest money on that house, when you get to closing, you're going to owe $90,000, right? Because that earnest money is part of the overall price. In the same way, when we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and we get just a taste of heaven. We get just a taste of the mystery and beauty and blessings and wonder of all that God is. Now, it can't compare to what heaven is going to be like, right? 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear heard, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even imagine it. But the Holy Spirit, when he seals us and guarantees the hope of heaven... We get part of it now. We have obtained this inheritance now, a portion of it anyway. We are so blessed, friends, so incredibly blessed. I think about the hymn, Blessed Assurance. I love the phrase that says, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Just a little taste of what's coming. Spirit has sealed us, branded us. The Holy Spirit has given us this guarantee of heaven for all that he's planned for us. And then Paul ends our text this morning with another shout of hallelujah, right? To the praise of his glory, Paul says. What a beautiful song of worship. Uh, we've just touched the surface. I would encourage you to read over it every day this week. Try and wrap your brain around it. and As you learn new things, come share them with me. But God has inspired Paul. This isn't just good ideas from Paul. This is God's heart. God's spirit has given these ideas, these deep theological truths to Paul for us to know and, and try to understand. But Paul sings of God's goodness and blessings. Just think of the scoping nature of this song. From eternity past to eternity future. Huge scope. Friends, this morning, if, you, if you're here and you don't know Christ, what are you waiting on? 
What are you waiting on? God has given you another moment of mercy, another moment of grace to trust him, to respond to this word of his truth, to respond to this this word, this knowledge of salvation in Jesus. Have you trusted him? Do you know him? Have you surrendered your life to him? And when you do, friends, for those of us that have made him our savior, oh, the blessings, right? I want to close with just reminding you here that it's through Jesus we have every blessing. He's made us holy. He's made us family. He's rescued us by his blood. He's forgiven us by his grace. He's included us in his will. He's sealed us with his spirit. And he's guaranteed our inheritance in heaven. Are you blessed this morning? Oh, we're so blessed. I'm going to close the message the way Paul started it. Bless God. Bless God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray that in this moment your spirit would connect with the things of your word that have been spoken today in each of our lives. So right now, just for a moment, God, I pray that every person wouldn't be worried about lunch. They wouldn't be worried about some other thing that's on their heart that's got them frustrated or concerned or fearful or whatever's going on. God, just for a few moments, can we just focus on what you've done in Jesus? Because if we can just get to that place just for a few moments and stay there, Lord, we will be overwhelmed with the blessings in our lives. And I'm not talking about temporal, earthly blessings, how wonderful they are, but even more, God, the fact that you love us, the fact that you want to make us holy when we were enemies, God, you want to make us family. You've rescued us. You've redeemed us. You've forgiven us. You've sealed us. You've given us a guarantee of heaven. God, how can we say thank you enough? If there's one person here that doesn't know you as Savior, Spirit of the living God, draw their hearts, please, to yourself so they would surrender to you. It's on them, God. They must believe what they've heard. They must move forward accepting this gift. And God, for those of us who know you, may we live like the people who've been unbelievably blessed. May we live like the people who understand the blessings in their life because nothing in this world, nothing on this side of heaven could dampen our spirit when we think of the blessings you've given us. No season of life, no illness, no frustration, no devastation. God could could, could keep us from considering how good you are in blessing us with every spiritual blessing. God, may we just take the moment as we sing this song, as we just surrender to you. Before we go, Father, may we just again say, bless God for all that you've blessed us with, all because of Jesus. We thank you and we love you. It's in that wonderful and beautiful name above every name that we pray. Amen.